Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll be talking about Cameron Diaz. And I'll be talking about a criminal defense lawyer. Oh, will you? I will. Brandy, buckle up, because it's time for me to expose you. Why? What did I do? What? What did you do? I don't know. Hmm. Okay, um, I'll give you a hint. You messed up big time and destroyed the trust and love of our patrons. (laughs) We're talking about this still? Here's the thing, everybody. (laughs) I thought we would just talk about it on our recently recorded bonus episode. (laughs) Um, Here's what happened. (laughs) <laughs> or maybe you should tell it. You should tell because you're the one who made the terrible error. Oh, I sent out some Supreme Court welcome thank you cards mm-hmm. um, without signing them, unfortunately. So the people were really excited because they got my signature, <laughs> which is all you want, really. <laughs> but, you know, they were told that they could get yours as well. Yes. And so they they did feel lied to. <laughs> So, you know, some people reached out um, and I thought we had the problem pretty much under control. You know, we had a couple people reach out. Yeah. And um, Brandy, I joined the Let's Go to Court fan group on Facebook and uh-huh. I saw someone else in there. I know. I reached also- out. They already messaged me on Discord. <laughs> I know. Four people got cards that were not signed oh, by me. You think four? I think way more. Thousands. Millions no. even. Um, if you have been affected by this issue, please reach out for a class action lawsuit <laughs> that we will file against Brandy. Um, she- I feel terrible. Terrible about this. Yeah, so, you it's a terrible Kristen thing. is a terrible friend for <laughs> continuing to make me feel bad about it. <laughs> you know, here's the thing: these people, um, you know, it's not it's not a huge deal or anything. It's just that like they had trust issues as kids, Stop it. and they were like working through them. Uh-huh, and I've really set them back in their treatment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's just trauma. It's okay. Great, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. You did. <laughs> Brandy messed up. Thank you. She handles it really well, everybody. Yeah, I hate making mistakes, so I apologize to anybody who got a card without my signature. Brandy, how do you handle mistakes? Like what? I mean, I hate it. Do you just beat yourself up? Absolutely, relentlessly. So, what are you telling yourself right now? That I've got it. Like. I've got to be more careful when I'm doing the fucking cards. I, I have such a system. I literally have no idea how this happened. Mm. So I, I know how it happened. How did it happen? I think you were like, oh, I've got to do some work for the podcast. Oh, wait. You know, where's my shot of fireball? And you took a shot <laughs> yeah. of fireball. And, you know, just like it was yeah. a mess yeah. is I what I couple, think. Did a couple lines of Coke. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Maybe threw in some ibuprofen. We just don't know. <laughs> We don't know how wild it got. We just know that the cards suffered as a result. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. My work has suffered. And so you screwed over the people (laughs) who support us monetarily. (laughs) (laughs) How's it feel, Brandy? It feels terrible. (laughs) Is this what it means, like, Boulevard of Broken Dreams? Stop (laughs) Join our Patreon at the $5 level or higher. And, you know, maybe you'll get both our signatures. You'll definitely get mine. (laughs) My sincerest apologies to anybody who got a card without my signature. I don't think she's serious, guys. I I don't think she's taking this seriously at all. Let me take it very seriously. Her awala is full of fireball right now as we speak. Oh, God, can you imagine? That would be terrible. It would be so bad. Fucking disgusting. Yes. You'd be a mess. I would be. I'd just be puking all over the sex dungeon. All right. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Randy, you know how I know you're a good friend or maybe just in such a spiral of feeling guilty about your own stuff that you <laughs> wow, well, you haven't pointed out. Like I kept waiting for you to point out my latest big blunder with the podcast. Why is it going to be a dick to you? <laughs> I was being a dick to you. <laughs> What's my big blunder, Brandy? Um, well, I, I – <laughs> <laughs> little, the little merch issue? Is that what you're talking about? Everybody, we have a little merch issue. Um, I put up the merch that um, we have left over from Obsessed Fest. Uh, there's not much, but it's on the website now. And uh, I miscounted the merch. <laughs> miscounted it a little bit. Um, and so I had to email a couple people and be like, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> I said I had that sweatshirt. In fact, I, I, do, not. I do not have it. I do not. <laughs> I will send you stickers as an apology. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for you to throw it back at me. No, but... I'm not going to do that. See, I don't, I wouldn't mind. Oh, we'll see. I would, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I feel like a dick. No, it's fine. I'm totally fine fucking up the cards. I'll, I've already given myself 30 lashings over <laughs> it. <laughs> 
Well, now tell us about a criminal defense attorney, Brandy. It's not my turn to go first. It's not? I went first last time and the time before, didn't I? Right, because we did an episode where I didn't do one, so it's so I'm it's going an first. even-numbered episode. You oh, go first I on the we even-numbered episode. I thought we were mixing up a little. Okay, all you, right. I'll go first if no, you want me to. No, it's fine. It's <laughs> fine. I'll shoulder the burden. <laughs> Okay, here we go. See, now I've got to zoom in on my screen. I'll go first. No, I've already zoomed in. <laughs> Thank you to Kara Mia DeMassa for her coverage of this case in the Los Angeles Times. Mm. Let's talk about Cameron Diaz. Yeah, let's talk about her. Ever heard of her? I sure have. What's your favorite Cameron Diaz film? Um, hmm. I mean, there's something about Mary. So, classic. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's kind of. Yeah. What What else are you going to yeah. say, really? All right. Cameron Diaz was raised in Long Beach, California, and fun fact: she attended Long Beach Polytechnic High School, where, get this, a fella named Snoop Dogg was also in her class. Oh, she went to school with Snoop D O Double G. Were they friends? Did they have classes? No, together? she bought weed from him, right? I don't know. I swear that's like a, a story. Is that a that's story? Told. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I would like to know more. So would I. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they were both on the yearbook together? No. Oh, not cool On enough. the yearbook? Yeah. On the yearbook staff? No. There's no way Snoop Dogg was on the yearbook staff, Kristen. Oh, you think he was a late bloomer? He wasn't cool enough to be <laughs> yes, part of the Yes, that's what staff I mean by that. Okay. All right. Well. <laughs> As you might imagine, Cameron Diaz is and has always been stunningly beautiful. Yeah. She's the ultimate California gal. Blonde hair, tanned skin, gorgeous blue eyes, hot body. Yeah, she surfs. Yeah, she looks like she surfs. Yeah. She's one of those people who is so good looking that they had no choice but to go into modeling. Yeah. And so she did. I mean, yeah, really. Like, yeah. do you have a choice? Right. No. When she was 16 years old, she signed a contract with Elite Model Management. Heard of them. She started off, yeah, we've watched American Next Top Model. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much experts. Yeah. She started off in a lot of catalog work, but she pretty quickly landed ads for Calvin Klein and Levi's. And get this, when she was literally 17, she was on the cover of Seventeen Magazine. (gasps) Wow, would you look at that? That's Hey, that is cute. <laughs> the following year, she was in a commercial for Coca-Cola. So Cameron was doing really well as a model, but she was kind of bored. She kept getting booked for these vanilla modeling jobs. And after a few years, she just got— You don't usually see hot girls on the vanilla labels. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, it's usually like really ugly girls, right? No, just typically just like a vanilla bean. <laughs> Brandy, that was good. I, I tip my hat to you. So she got sick of, after a few years, she got sick of just. <laughs> you really threw me the fuck off with your little crack about vanilla. <laughs> Anyway, what I'm trying to tell you is she wanted to be a part of more interesting photo shoots like mm-hmm. for Pepper. 
So in 1992, when Cameron was 19 years old, she reached out to a photographer named John Rudder. At the time, John was known for doing a lot of artsy, edgy shots that often ended up in European magazines. Mm. So the two got together and they did an S&M leather fashion lingerie shoot. What? What? Okay. She's how old at this point? 19. All right. She's a model. Okay. You seem scandalized. I am. (laughs) (laughs) The photo shoot was pretty racy. In one photo, Cameron held a chain around a male model's neck. She wore leather boots, fishnets, a bustier, a leather vest, and one must assume she paired all that with her finest pair of jorts. (laughs) I just thought it was weird that they left out, you know, what was on her bottom. You You didn't see see any of these pictures? No, no, I did not. And you are about to find out. Oh, okay. Find out why? Yeah. I mean, did you think I was just like telling you like, (laughs) what do you think we're doing here, Brandy? How did I get here? (laughs) Were you dropped here by a stork? (laughs) In some of the photos, Cameron was topless, and the photo shoot was videoed. Cameron really enjoyed herself. She thought the photos were, you know, racy and kind of circusy was the word she used. Uh, They were so different from what she usually did. But the shots never really went anywhere. They never ended up being released. I think I saw one source said that, like, one of the shots ended up in, like, some random magazine. All but, right. You know, oh, well. Cameron Diaz kept doing her thing. A couple years later, her agent encouraged her to audition for a new Jim Carrey movie. The Mask! Mm-mm. Um, Cameron was a little intimidated because she'd never done any acting ever, but she auditioned for the role and she got it. It's interesting that you think it's the mask. It's actually the Shawshank Redemption. (laughs) Stupid. And Jim Carrey's not in that. (laughs) Is that not him? No! (laughs) I know about films, Brady, so did it occur to you that maybe you're wrong here? (laughs) No, it was the mask. (laughs) And it became the highest grossing film of 1994. She looks beautiful in it. Oh my! She is smoking good hot, Lord. Yes. yes, like yeah. outrageously hot. Yes, that red dress. Yes. Hello. Yes. Okay. Anyway, was that like the first time you saw me? You're like, oh my god. Yes, with well. your half curled under, half flipped up. Bangs. <laughs> that is so rude. <laughs> okay, I had fucking straight across bangs, so maybe I was jealous. <laughs> You're like, wow, she's got variety with those bangs. (laughs) Anyway, that's very hurtful, but I'm going to be a professional and continue (laughs) on with this story. (laughs) Which, by the way, is just a random story. It has nothing to do with anything. There's no court stuff about to happen. or Yeah. (laughs) The mask really changed Cameron's career. From that point on, she was an actress. She starred in a bunch of comedies, including My Best Friend's Wedding, and of course, There's Something About Mary. Mm. And after that, she tried her hand at dramatic roles in Being John Malkovich and Any Given Sunday. I've never seen either of those. Me neither. Actually, I have seen Any Given Sunday. I think she plays like the manager of a football team, and you see dongs in the locker room. Do you really? Yes. 
big dongs. Um, Swinging dongs. Close-up shots of dongs or just like dongs in passing? I I think it's pretty much in passing, but Mm -hmm. I was pretty young when I saw it and I may have been traumatized by it. You know, it's not often you see dongs in films. Yeah. I really hate that. Yeah. They show women all the time. Yes, you see tits nonstop. What's so precious about a penis that we can't see that as well? Game of Thrones. (laughs) Sorry, I'm still mad. It's been years. A lot of people are mad about the finale. I'm mad about the lack (laughs) Lack of of dongs. dongs. Just make it fair, you know? Anyway. She became an A-lister. Her paychecks got beefier. The accolades rolled in. She was nominated for three Golden Globes, Brandy. She was? Yeah, eventually. I'm, oh, I'm kind of okay. working outside the timeline That's a little fine. bit. Time is a construct. Yeah. She also got a Critics' Choice Award. Oh, okay. For what? Do you know? I don't. Okay, great. <laughs> Forget I asked. <laughs> she was on top of the world. <laughs> and then she starred in a movie that would make all other movies look like dog shit. I'm talking, of course, about Charlie's Angels, mm-hmm. starring Cameron D., <laughs> Drew Barrymore, and Lucy Liu as crime-fighting, ass-kicking detectives. That's right. I don't think I need to tell you that the movie was a huge hit. It grossed $264 million. Wow, that's pretty good. Well, yeah. The movie was fun, action-packed, a little goofy. It came with a bomb-ass soundtrack. And yes, Kyla owned the CD. And yes, I did borrow it. (laughs) Did you give it back? Hell no. (laughs) The soundtrack included Independent Women by Destiny's Child, Groove is in the Heart by Mm D-Light, and of course... Brandy, you're a fine girl. With, By the looking glass. With. With what? An intro from Tom Green. I, yeah. <laughs> Tom Green sang it in the movie. Yes, it's and true. parlayed into the looking glass version. Mm-hmm. I, I had a, I had it on a burned CD. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Brandy, not everyone appreciates great art in its time. Roger Ebert gave the film half of one star. Oh, no. The film critic for The New York Times wrote, Of course it's terrible, but did it have to be this bad? Oh, no. (laughs) The San Francisco Chronicle called it an utter debacle. A debacle? An utter debacle. Wow. I think they're taking it too seriously. Yeah. But you know what they say? Fuck the haters. This thing made money. Let's make another one. Just a couple years later, Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore, and Lucy Liu were back at it again for for Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. I never saw that one. I think I saw both of these films. I remember seeing the first one. I don't remember seeing this one. It's really amazing when you consider how few films I've seen that I saw both of these movies. (laughs) Had plenty of time to see the Charlie's Angels movies. You make time, okay? (laughs) When something's a priority, you make time. (laughs) By this point, Cameron had become even more popular. She'd starred as Princess Fiona 
in Shrek. Oh, yeah! She'd starred in the criminally underrated film, The Sweetest Thing, followed by the epic stinker, Gangs of New York. The Sweetest Thing is a so good. wonderful movie. Yes. It's very good. It's so underrated, it right? It is, yes. And Gangs of New York sucks balls. Yeah, it's not good. Oh, my gosh. That's one of those movies I get mad thinking about because I thought the trailer looked so good. I did, too. And then I was bored to fucking tears. Everyone was because that movie is five years long. Yes, it is. It is. It's so long. It's terrible. Yes. Boy, oh, boy. Charlie's Angels Full Throttle was supposed to be another moneymaker, even though Brandy didn't see it, apparently. No. Did it flop? We're not there yet, oh, I'm sorry. Brandy. Keep your pants on. Keep your jorts on. Yeah, I'm rocking jorts today. <laughs> it was scheduled to be released in the summer of 2003, and there was a big ad campaign behind it. Everything was going great. Nothing could go wrong. Summer of 2003, there's a chance we saw this movie together. Yeah, that's why I think you're full of shit Maybe when you I say did you see haven't it. seen this. I think we for sure saw this together. <laughs> You really think you didn't see this movie? I, I really didn't think I had, but that timing, we for sure went and saw it together. Yeah, so. yeah. You're talking out your ass, Brandy. <laughs> and I won't put up with it. You know we went to the AMC 30. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it was at this time, just a few days before the movie was set to premiere, that the photographer, John Rutter, came a-knocking. It had been 11 years since Cameron posed in that S&M shoot. And all of a sudden, John wanted to talk. He reached out to Cameron and her agent and her manager and her lawyer, and he gave them some bad news. What's with your face, man? Would he blackmail them? I'm going to release these pictures? No. What Have, do you do? Do you know this story? No. I'd never heard this either. I think it's I don't know wild. anything about this. Well, okay, so here's what was going on. Um, somebody wanted to buy the photos from that photo shoot. They were willing to pay like $5 million. And this person or outlet, you know, didn't have good intentions. They wanted to buy the photos so that they could portray Cameron Diaz as a bad angel. He said they were going to use the photos against her. He said these buyers were planning to run the photos in a huge magazine spread and in campaigns on buses and billboards. What? They wanted to release it in time for the Charlie's Angels full throttle premiere. What? Yeah. Yeah, that's what they wanted to do. Who's buying them? Whoa. Okay, rude. Please don't ask any questions. Just know that it's all very true and it's happening. Okay. Is he making this whole thing up? John was I a I currently good have two theories. I'm going to keep them both to myself. No. Currently. No, share them. No. Brandy, damn it. Come on. Mm. Okay. So he – he nobody's – nobody wants to buy them from him. He's hoping to cash in on Cameron Diaz's you know, star value at okay. this point. That's my first theory. Second theory is that some – religious group wants to purchase them and talk about how how dare we use the word angel in mm. correspondence with this clearly satanic woman in her leather and dog colors and whatever and don't you know don't 
tread on the good name of the Lord. Hmm. <laughs> Those are my two theories currently. <laughs> Personally, I love the second one. <laughs> I love the idea of a religious group putting up like really fucking sexy pictures yeah. of Cameron Diaz and be like, see, this She's is proof no it's bad. Angel. <laughs> and then they'd be so surprised when everyone was like super turned on and like really into it. Beaten off to okay. <laughs> That's enough. Gosh, we keep getting mayo on these ads. Oh, God. <laughs> We're going to have to hose down the bus again. What is happening? I think people are throwing their bologna sandwiches at it. <laughs> Randy, John was just a good guy. Okay? No, he wasn't. Yeah, he was. He said that instead of selling the photos to this scummy mystery person, he'd be willing to sell the photos instead to Cameron for like a measly $3.3 million. 3.3? Yeah. Okay. Pocket change, yeah. bitch. <laughs> He was, so he's just extorting her. You no, know, he's giving her a discount. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, he was willing to give her like two days to come up with the money. So that was nice because yeah, I'm sure the bank was about to close. Did he like deliver her a letter that's just like cut out magazine pieces <laughs> demanding this money? He's playing it real cool. <laughs> so I think this is interesting Initially, it seems that Cameron didn't think she was being extorted. In fact, she says at first she actually offered to do a deal with John where they would jointly sell a few of the photos to like a reputable outlet and, you know, give a portion of the proceeds to charity. She Mm -hmm. figured that if these photos had to come out, they could work something out together. But John didn't want to do that. Yeah, John was not on board for that idea. And finally, Cameron asked the question that you asked a few minutes ago, which was, who are these people who want to buy these photos yeah. and, you know, put up this, I mean, buses, billboards, yeah. for real? Yeah. John refused to tell her. Christian <laughs> it was focused on the family. <laughs> they were like, I know what we'll do. We'll show everyone Cameron Diaz's tits and they'll just be disgusted. <laughs> Wait, could you see her tits? Yeah, she was topless, and that's the way topless photos were. I think I missed that they were topless. (laughs) You were so focused on the jorts. That's right. You know, she was topless in a few of them. Oh, okay. So they just put, like, little Jesus heads over the nipples. (laughs) Brandy. John refused to tell her who these mystery buyers were. Yeah, because they didn't exist. And that's when she realized, okay, this dude's up to something. Yeah. And she called the cops. For what it's worth, John claimed that the photos were his. He'd done nothing wrong. He had a photo release with Cameron Diaz's signature on it. What do you think of that? Um, well, I mean, he's probably right. Legal. <laughs> I'm sorry, is that a word? Legally. Legally speaking. <laughs> Well, I mean, if he has a photo release, like... Yeah, he should be able to sell them to whoever he wants to. Right. Yeah. Including Focus on the Family or Pat Robertson or whoever. (laughs) The 700 Club. What what else do we have here? Police searched his apartment and gathered up his computer and found evidence that 
Someone using that computer had added Cameron Diaz's signature to the photo release using a little program called Photoshop. Oh, he didn't really have a photo release. I mean, he did have one. Not a legit one. Well. Which makes sense because otherwise what the fuck is he doing talking to Cameron Diaz? If he really had a photo release, he'd just sell them to whoever the fuck he wanted. Yeah, in theory. What does that What does that mean? In theory. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? I sounded nothing like that. Try it again, but sexier. No, like, I could see, like, if I've got these sexy photos of you, which I have many of them, just tons of shoeboxes full of them, um, I could see, you know, like, hey, I've got this rando who wants to buy them off eBay. Do you want to buy them instead? Okay. Right? right? I mean, like. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I'll entertain the idea. <laughs> So John Rutter was charged with attempted grand theft, forgery, perjury, and extortion. Yeah. Though the extortion charge was later dropped. Why? Just calm down. (laughs) I mean, he seems to be extorting her to me. (laughs) You know, it was probably that thing where they were like, eh, this is going to be the hardest one to prove. We've got all this other stuff. We'll just, yeah. yeah. Spend our time on those. That's right. Okay. So he was in big trouble in criminal court. And then Cameron sued him in civil court. And the judge in that case issued a permanent injunction against the sale or use of those photos and the video that went along with it. Oh, that's why you've never seen them. That's right. I get it now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all cut up to speed now. That's right. Meanwhile, in July of 2005, John Rutter's criminal trial kicked off in front of a jury of six men and six women. In his opening arguments, Deputy District Attorney David Walgren laid out the whole situation. Walgren? Yeah, like Walgreens. Yeah, but, but not with only one e. <laughs> He said that John had come to Cameron days before the release of Charlie's Angels full throttle to put maximum pressure on her. Full throttle, maximum pressure, get it? I think I do. <laughs> but I'm not sure. He saw this as his payday. He talked about all the professional success that Cameron had enjoyed in recent years. He said her career had skyrocketed. Mr. Rudders didn't. Mm. Oh, that's a sick ouch. burn. <laughs> He said that investigators had discovered evidence on John's computer that he'd used Photoshop to put a fake signature on the model release form. Did I murder you know what I mean? Also, he said that the fake signature wasn't even a real fake signature. Apparently, it had been lifted off of a publicity still from the movie Feeling Minnesota, which doesn't sound like a real I've movie never at heard all. Of that movie. Feeling Minnesota, what a terrible title. Yeah. What does that even mean? I don't know. You know, ever know when you're just kind of like feeling, feeling Minnesota? Minnesota. <laughs> 
So it don't w- you assume it's like a movie where she has? Okay, this is what I, I can totally picture. Okay, she yeah. has to go back to her small town yes. that she grew up in. Mm-hmm. It's called Feeling, Minnesota, and it's there that she gets in touch with mm-hmm. her own feelings. Yeah, and it's a lot of shots of her looking out on the lake. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, where have you been, honey? I haven't <laughs> seen you around in a while. Yeah, because she's been too busy in the big right, city. Right. Yeah. But now she's back and home. All and she doesn't feelings, like it at first. All the feelings, she's been shoving them down deep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But now they're coming out. They are. Now that she's feeling Minnesota. That's right. Yeah. Could just be a movie about Cameron Diaz humping the literal earth of Minnesota, though. <laughs> we can't rule that out. <laughs> we can't rule it out because we haven't seen the film. <laughs> I've never even heard of the film. Okay, I'm going to Google it because, like, that's... <laughs> Surely that's not a real movie, right? I've never heard of it. Okay. Feeling Minnesota. Would you look at that? 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. I will read you this now. Don't Hold on. Don't look at the summary. I'm okay. going to read this to you. Okay. It has Keanu Reeves in it and Vincent D'Onofrio. Who's Vincent D'Onofrio? D'Onofrio. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Clayton, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, his marriage to ex-stripper Freddie, played by Cameron Diaz, comes about when she's strong-armed into the match, what, by Red? What? A club proprietor who once did her a favor, but Reddy falls in love with Keanu Reeves is Sam's brother and the pair try I'm so confused. What? The pair tries to escape the situation together. It isn't long before both Sam and Red catch up to them, resulting in threats against the two of them. What? Dan Aykroyd's also in this movie. What a letdown. Our movie was better. <laughs> I agree. People would have actually seen our movie. I'm sorry. I've Siskel and Ebert gave the film two thumbs up. Really? That's according to Wikipedia. I mean, it looks like there's quite a bit of violence in here, and it's called a romantic comedy. Uh, this says it's a crime comedy film. Described, oh, direct, sorry, directed by <laughs> Stephen Bagelman. Also described by him. Yes. Because directors are often asked to describe, to describe their, their films. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a fun adventure. It was wonderful. <laughs> so this signature was lifted off of a publicity still. Ma'am, what are you looking at? I'm reading the soundtrack listing. See if there's anything good on there. It also has Brandy, you're a fine girl on it. <laughs> It has Ring of Fire on it, but it's done by Bob Dylan. Hmm. Couldn't afford the Johnny Cash one. <laughs> I can't imagine that the Bob Dylan version is much cheaper. How does that grab you, darling? What? It's a song by Nancy Sinatra. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, are you done, man? I'm done. There's also a song called Blasting Fonda on there. Which Blasting is what? You what? used to do in your basement. <laughs> What? Blasting what exactly? Fonda? Fonda! Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's when you do squats with Jane Fonda. <laughs> that's right. Love Jane Fonda. Big fan. How do we get Jane Fonda on the podcast? That's never happening. You know what? You don't dream big enough. 
I, I really, what am I thinking? <laughs> that I could get Jane Fonda on the podcast, but like my co-host can't even sign a card. <laughs> <laughs> you dick. <laughs> Anyway, what I'm trying to tell you is like the signature that was on the feeling up yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, it's not her actual signature. Yeah. All right. Well, boy, I didn't realize you had already jumped ahead. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> John. Anyway, how do we get our version of feeling Minnesota made? <laughs> I think you and me, Norman David, we just take a road trip to Minnesota. <laughs> what role do you play? I think you could be the city gal coming in. I'd like to be your mother who's sick. Reason. <laughs> I'd mostly like a lot of scenes where I can just lay down and go, come closer. <laughs> anyway, John Rudder's. Wait, was it her I, real signature? I'm not real clear. Shut up. You know the whole story. I didn't even have to tell you that story. You just knew it. And you're saying apparently the listeners already <laughs> caught on, too. <laughs> For those of you who haven't put it together yet, this is our second episode of the week. They would never guess. They say, we can't tell the difference between when you do just one episode a week and two episodes a week. You just keep it together really well. You don't sound too tired <laughs> or fucked up in any way. <laughs> any hooters. Um, John Rudder's defense attorney, Mark Worksman. You say that three times and I have to leave the room and somebody else's tits have to come in here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I thought you were referring to Mark Worksman. <laughs> It'd been a minute since I said any Hooters. That's so dumb. <laughs> anyway, he told the jury quite a different tale. He said, this is the case of a rich and powerful movie star who, through this prosecution, is seeking to crush and destroy John Rudder. No, it's fucking yes, not. This is about to destroy. to extort Cameron Diaz. No, she's trying to crush and destroy him. star was rising all the way to the top until that feeling Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> he said that the only thing his client was guilty of was... Being a nice guy, he'd offered to sell the photos to her instead of to some other magazine, you know? No one else ever wanted the pictures. He was just being nice, Brandy. <laughs> After all, he owned the images so he could do whatever the hell he wanted with them. I guess nice guys really do finish last. No. <laughs> <laughs> Ma'am, try not to vomit in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> The prosecution called some of the other models who'd been at the photo shoot that day. They also called two IT nerds who testified that the signature on the model release form appeared to be forged. They called Cameron's manager, Rick Yorn, who'd been at the meeting with John Rudder, and he told the jury that at the meeting he'd immediately felt that John was trying to extort Cameron. On cross-examination, John's defense attorney pulled out an issue of Maxim magazine he showed him a photo of Cameron and Drew and Lucy all posed seductively. So seductive. <laughs> and he said, essentially, 
isn't this just as lurid as the 1992 photos? Right? Indeed. Yes. That has nothing to – okay. So Peter was like, no, that's comparing apples and oranges. My thing is like even if if they were like raunchier or whatever – this, that's not what this is about. No, it's not. It's about extortion. Yes. Cameron Diaz took the stand wearing a brown sweater and tweed pants, and I'm sure she looked chic as hell, although I could not find a photo. <laughs> she testified that she didn't sign a model release at the 1992 photo shoot. She said that the signature on that release was absolutely 100 percent not hers. She said that as a model, she'd always been taught not to sign a photo release, especially at a photo shoot, without her agent knowing about it. She also told the jury that she hadn't ever really worried about those 1992 photos. She hadn't given them much thought, really. But as soon as John reached out to her about them, she knew that it was about her being a celebrity. She talked about that moment when... He wouldn't tell her the names of the people who supposedly wanted to buy and disseminate the photos. And that was the moment that she realized he was trying to use her. And inseminate the photos. Gross. Fun fact, you can't inseminate a bus. (laughs) You can try, and it's been attempted many times. But you would not be successful. (laughs) Because they'll just hose it right off. That's right. She said... I was furious. I have a temper with certain things when people come after me. I've never felt so violated. It leaves a hole in my chest. I was sick to my stomach. A big part of the defense was the idea that Cameron Diaz was a big actress who was now embarrassed by her past. She was embarrassed by what she'd done at the photo shoot, and now she was trying to make it go away. But she told the jury that she didn't have any problems showing her breasts and that she'd felt the photo shoot was a safe environment. You know, it was a professional photo shoot. And that actually her boobs looked pretty good in those photos. So, you know, she had that going for her. Yeah, they were taken when she was, what, 19? Yeah. Yeah. And she's Cameron Diaz. Yeah, I bet her tits looked amazing. (laughs) At one point during cross-examination, defense attorney Mark Worksman busted out a little bulletin board to which he had pinned four of the Maxim magazine pictures which Cam- with Cameron in a bikini and Drew, and Drew Barrymore and Lucy Liu were also there. I assume they were in bikinis too. Uh-huh. And Mark goes, it was a sexy movie, right? And Cameron goes, uh, thank you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like, you fucking weirdo. What? <laughs> After the prosecution rested, the defense made a motion to dismiss the case. And Judge Michael Pastor was like, nice try. We're going to keep it moving. The defense called John Rutter's former agent, Frank Moore. Frank testified that John had always been vigilant about getting models to sign photo releases. He said they were standard for photo shoots. On cross-examination, the prosecution was like, "Okay, but do you know if Cameron Diaz signed a release? And Frank had to admit that he didn't. I'm really surprised that the photo release wasn't just standard practice, right? Yeah, I am too. Hmm. Right? That seems odd. I would assume that any photo shoot you would go on, you 
I mean, these are the things I, I don't, don't know. know. I've never been a model. So <laughs> it is shocking. I know. John Rudder testified in his own defense. He claimed that he'd never been trying to blackmail Cameron Diaz. He'd merely been offering her the first right of refusal. He'd just been trying to kind of do the right thing. He thought he was the rightful owner of those photos. He had no idea her signature had been forged. But when the two-week trial came to a close, the jury found John Rudder guilty. He was facing six years in prison. Wow. I know, right? Oh, well, okay. What do you think of that? I mean, that seems like probably too much. I kind of agree. Yeah. I mean, this is really shitty. It is. What he did is shitty. Well, I don't but know if it's six, six years, years in prison. Yeah. The judge deemed him a flight risk, so he was immediately taken into custody. John's defense attorney told the media that his client was devastated. He said that, quote, this was an epic battle between a rich and famous celebrity and a hardworking photographer. He implied that the DA had given Cameron Diaz special treatment because of her celebrity status. And, of course, that offended the prosecutor, so he went to the media and said, We don't tolerate forgers and criminals who seek to take advantage of celebrities or anyone else. Had the victim been anyone other than Cameron Diaz, he would have been prosecuted in the same courts, in the same manner, and with the same diligence. To which I say, bullshit, but you know, well, yeah. right, whatever. Okay. Yeah, of course Cameron Diaz is going to get preferential treatment. Yes. This is my favorite part. Are you ready? I am ready. At the sentencing, John told the judge that this had all been a misunderstanding. Oh, yeah? He said, quote, I deeply regret the perception that I had done wrong. I'm what? A- yeah, he regrets the perception. He, You know, you know how when you regret that other people think you did the wrong thing? <laughs> yeah, okay. That's my favorite apology oh ever. Oh, my gosh. I do have regrets, and it's that you're wrong about me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I regret how stupid everyone is. Oh, my god! For not loving me. Yeah. He said, I never intended any harm. It's a shame this whole mess ever happened. Oh, boy. Then he said this, and this is beautiful. Your Honor, I beg for your compassion. It's like I'm living a modern version of John Steinbeck's The Pearl. My pearl, my life, my loved ones have been turned upside down. I'm not familiar with The Pearl. So that's the the one where like the fisherman's like all excited. He thinks he's found this like really valuable thing and it just like okay. results in tragedy. Okay. So he's just like – Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good for him. John asked to be placed on probation and said that as soon as he got out of custody, he couldn't wait to help underprivileged kids. He was just like so desperate to help the kids. <laughs> the fuck does that have to do with anything? What? What don't you understand, Brandy? He's a wonderful Is man. That a mitigating factor. He's going to go help the kids. He can't fucking wait to get okay. to those kids. <laughs> that, well, that sounds bad. <laughs> the judge was not moved. <laughs> he was unimpressed by John's lack of remorse. He said the thing about helping underprivileged kids was too little too late. Oh. <laughs> That was too much. There are dogs howling right now. 
The prosecution asked that John be sentenced to three years and eight months, and the judge agreed. Cameron didn't attend the sentencing. She was probably busy looking really chic somewhere. <laughs> I think she was probably like in a oversized oatmeal covered oatmeal covered. I meant oatmeal colored, colored. sweater. Yes, yeah, she probably was. Yeah. I love that movie, The Holiday, you know? Yeah, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful. Yes. Ugh. It's so good. Anyway, John appealed his conviction, but a three-judge panel was like, nope, appeal denied. But they still had that civil suit looming overhead, and John decided that it was time for no more Mr. Nice Guy. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so he countersued Cameron Diaz. Are you fucking kidding me? I wish I was. On what fucking grounds? Fraud and breach of contract, and he sued her for $10 million. Okay. And in 2006, Judge Va- – oh, no, the judge went too far in her script like an idiot. Oh, my God. And in 2006, <laughs> Judge Valerie Baker ultimately dismissed John's countersuit and awarded Cameron Diaz an undisclosed amount of damages. Why is it undisclosed? Do you want me to just make up a number? Yes, please. Twenty-five grand. Not enough. And, you know, Cameron was like – I'm fine. I'm going to give it to the kids. I'm going to help out those underprivileged kids <laughs> that John was so desperate to get to. And that, Brandy, is the story of a dude Ooh! who tried to fuck with Cameron Diaz. Oh, my gosh. I loved it. I had never heard that I've before. I thought it was kind of wild. Yeah, it is wild. It really didn't get a ton of media coverage. I've, I've never heard it, and I'm constantly looking at media. <laughs> <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Do you need to get more little drinky drink there? (sighs) No, I will um, soldier on. Okay, great. Let's talk about a criminal defense lawyer then. Oh, I just took a slurp of my drink and it was really loud and I'm very sorry. (laughs) 
Let's talk about a criminal defense. <laughs> well, I don't think you then. had to start over. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I, I think people could have lived. You think they heard through it? Okay. A shout out to an episode of Forensic Files. Almost this whole thing comes from mm, an episode of Forensic okay. Files. Okay. So here we go. In the late 1990s, Leslie Vaughn was a well-known and well-respected criminal defense attorney in San Antonio, Texas. Leslie lived in this beautiful house on a private cul-de-sac in the suburbs with his wife, Madeline, and their two sons, Brian and Chris, 16 and 12, respectively. I'm always so thrown when a Leslie is a man. Oh, you didn't expect him to be a man? No, no. I'm always so thrown. Yes. Their house was very impressive. It sat at the end of a long, gated driveway on a nice little chunk of land, just over two and a half acres. Are you going to give me an address? I'm not because I believe some of the family members still live at this address. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. And you're afraid of what I will do. (laughs) No, I just don't think that would be proper. (laughs) It had four beds, three baths, about 3,100 square feet. All right. There's a lot of footage of the house on this episode of Forensic Files, and I was pleasant. I was pleased by what I saw. What was the most impressive to you? The driveway. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's like a double gated entrance that just like. And do they have the trees lining the... I mean, yeah, there's trees fucking everywhere. But what I really liked is that, like, while it's on a piece of property, Mm -hmm. it's like the property's behind the house, so the house sits on a cul-de-sac, and then they have neighbors. Oh, see, I don't like that. Oh, I do like that. No, that's terrible. Okay, great. Wait. I like having neighbors. I don't know my neighbors, though, so why do I care? Exactly. Well, Don't you want more privacy? You'll find out it's good they have neighbors. Oh, okay. No, for real, I always... See, I know you don't don't want neighbors. No, I always think it's a real shame when you're driving down the road and you see somebody with a nice big chunk of property and their house is like right up on the road. And I always think, well, don't you want more space? Oh, I get what you're saying. Don't you want a little more privacy? Yeah. So everybody's driveways, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, like everybody's driveways were at the – like in the cul-de-sac. But then everybody's houses were set farther back anyway. (laughs) (sighs) Are you sick of me? No. Brandy, we have your bachelorette party. I know. I'm so excited. You can't be sick of me. I'm not sick of you. (laughs) Leslie's wife, Madeline Vaughn, was a registered nurse. And on November 9th, 1998, she left for her overnight shift at Methodist Heart Hospital between 10 and 10.30 p.m. This left Leslie at home with Brian and Chris. Leslie went to bed in his second floor bedroom, as did Chris, but Brian stayed up. It was just before 1.30 a.m. on November 10th, 1998, when Brian reportedly heard a loud bang or pop come from the direction of his dad's bedroom. Concerned, Brian grabbed his younger brother, who was like either asleep in his room or hanging out in his room. Mm -hmm. Brian went in, got him, took him to his own bedroom and was like, stay here. I'm going to go check this out. I'll be right back. And so then he went down the hall to check out the noise he had heard. Brian knocked on his dad's door, but... He didn't get a response. So he tried the handle, but the door was locked. Brian called out to his dad through the door, but again, there was no response. So Brian listened for a little bit, and he heard his father snoring. So he assumed everything was okay. Just as he was about to walk away, though, the snoring turned to this, like, wet, gurgling sound. Hmm. 
Brian was now super concerned that something was wrong, so he went to his room, grabbed his brother Chris, and they headed to the house of Mr. and Mrs. Floyd, the Vaughn's neighbors. When the Floyds answered the door, Brian explained to him that he believed there was an intruder or something like that at their house. He explained that he'd already called 911 and he asked them to take Chris in while he went back to the house to wait for the police. Oh, gosh. And they agreed. So they brought Chris into the house. Wait, wait, how old is this kid? He's 16. No. Right. So he and then Brian leaves and goes back to the house. When the police arrived at the Vaughn house, they broke down the door to Leslie's room and found him dead in bed. There was a single gunshot wound to the back of his head. Leslie Vaughn was 44 years old. There was a large chunk of limestone on the floor in the bedroom, and there was shattered glass everywhere. In the room was a set of French doors that led to a balcony off Mm -hmm. the bedroom. The glass on one of those doors had been broken, presumably by the large rock, and that was presumably how the killer had gotten in. I don't understand. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But – it was kind of odd that someone had gained access this way because there yeah. was no – there weren't stairs or a ladder or anything to the balcony. They would have had to like scale the side of it. Right. Nothing in the room appeared to have been touched and nothing was missing. Clearly robbery wasn't the motive here. So investigators started to wonder if this had been a hit. Leslie Vaughn was well respected for the work he did in criminal defense. But he had represented people with possible cartel ties and people with ties to organized crime just days before his death. Actually, I think just like the day before his death, Mm -hmm. a federal prosecutor recalled overhearing Leslie Vaughn tell an acquaintance that he feared he may be a target due to his work. He said he knew that was the risk he took in his line of work, though. And so police initially focused on maybe a disgruntled former client, something of that nature. The family had actually been receiving harassing phone calls or, according to this episode of Forensic Files, harassing phone calls. I hate it when people say that. I don't like it one bit. (laughs) The worst is sexual harassment. Harassment. Yes. It sounds so much worse. It does sound worse. So the family had been getting these phone calls, like multiple phone calls a day for like weeks leading up to this. And they'd just be like someone breathing on the line Ew. and then they'd hang up. And multiple family members can attest to this? Yes. Okay. And the phone logs were there, but all of the numbers were untraceable. And mm. so that didn't really go anywhere. So police are looking at this possible angle. But also as, as standard procedure, police also needed to rule out those closest to Leslie. Investigators thought his wife, Madeline, had a bit of an odd response when she was notified of Leslie's death. She was emotional. She was super upset. Mm -hmm. But she never asked how Leslie had died. Yeah, that's super weird. I agree. They checked the hospital records, though, and she had been at work the night that Leslie was killed. She'd never left the premises. So did she hire someone? I mean, it's possible, right? But they didn't really think so. Mm -hmm. So then they started looking at who else was in the house with Leslie that night. That left just 12-year-old Chris and 16-year-old Brian. When they started looking at Brian, 
They quickly discovered that his version of events for the night wasn't really matching up with the timeline that others could confirm. Mm -hmm. And it didn't match the evidence at the scene. They also learned that Brian and Leslie had gotten into a big fight the night of the murder. Investigators learned that Brian had been begging his father for a new car for weeks. He didn't like the used car he'd been driving, but Leslie had refused. He said that Brian's grades were really bad and like he's like, you want a new car? You get your grades up and we'll talk. Yeah, I mean, that sounds fair. Yes. Or Um, infuriating, depending on whose side you're on, I guess. Yes. So conveniently, when Brian was told by his father that there was nothing wrong with his car. Mm -hmm. Oh, something happened. Mysteriously caught fire. Caught fire? Uh Uh-huh. Dude, do less. Yeah. It was declared a total loss. Well, I bet it was. You light a car on fire. Yeah. So it appears that at the time there was like a lot of like side eye at Brian about this, but no actual investigation took place. Yeah. Cars don't just light on fire. Right. Okay. Yeah. So no criminal investigation took place. Nothing happened. They got an insurance payout for the car. Yeah. I don't I'm surprised know, the insurance. Okay, well, yes. All right. Was he punished by being given a new car? No. So on November 9th, Brian and Leslie had gone to a car dealership to look for a replacement car. But Brian was super upset when his father only offered to get him another used car. Brian wanted, nay, Brian needed a brand new car. <laughs> he could not settle for a used car, would not settle for a used car. What kind of brand new car? I'm not sure. They showed like a little sporty thing in the reenactment, uh-huh. but who knows? Probably had his eye on a brand new Subaru. <laughs> yes, I believe that's, that's it. That's what all the kids want. Yeah. Well, this kid is a brat and a <sighs> father killer. Um. So Brian and his dad got in this big fight about it right there in the dealership. Mm. And they left without making a purchase. Well, Yeah. I'm not buying you a car if you're going to be a dick. Right. So back at home that evening, the fight continued. Brian was a super talented basketball player. Mm -hmm. Like he was in line to be getting like a collegiate scholarship to continue playing basketball. And he threatened to quit the basketball team if his dad wouldn't (laughs) buy him a new car. Bullshit. Right. Bullshit. But Leslie would not budge. Yeah, he's an attorney. He knows a bluff when he hears it. Yeah. So investigators learn about this and they're like, could an argument over a new car possibly be enough to push Brian to murder his own father? And they were like, yes, because Brandy's telling this story. We all know how this is going to (laughs) go. So, yeah, police were like, yeah, I think that really might be the case here. And so they started picking apart Brian's version of the night's events, which admittedly – Admittedly. Admittedly. Stop it. We were going to cut that part where I said it wrong, Kristen. (laughs) Nah, we can't. (laughs) Admittedly, it wasn't that hard to do as he was a 16-year-old boy and not some criminal mastermind. Yeah. First, there was the timeline. Brian told the police that he had heard the pop just before 1.30 a.m. He'd listened at the door for a bit and then he'd taken Chris to the neighbor's house after calling 911. And the neighbors, the Floyds, had told investigators that Brian and Chris had come to their door at 1.24 a.m. 
They had specifically remembered looking at a clock in their bedroom when mm-hmm. they heard the knock on the door because yeah. of the odd hour. Yeah, no, that and makes so, sense. And so, like, the time totally stuck out to them. They were sure. It was one twenty four a.m. But when they checked the 911 call logs, Brian hadn't placed a call to 911 until one forty six a.m. Mm-hmm. Investigators theorized that Brian had spent the 20 minutes from the time when he left the Floyd house to when he called 911, murdering his father and staging the scene. Wow. So he'd gotten Chris out of the house while his dad was sleeping, and then he'd gone back, taken his father's own gun, gone into his bedroom, shot him while he slept, and then thrown the rock through the window to make it – or through the – Balcony door. French door. Yep. That's the symbol for French door. Everyone, she's gesturing (laughs) like she's trying to get an airplane to land. And then locked the bedroom door and left it, like closed it behind him and then called 911. That's really fast. It is really fast. I would agree. Pretty quickly, investigators had determined that the evidence at the scene had to have been staged. Despite heavy rain in recent days, there were no footprints or ladder marks on the ground below the balcony. Mm -hmm. So for that to be the entry point into this house, they would have left marks. They would have tracked mud across the balcony and Mm -hmm. there was none. It did appear that the glass in the French door had actually been shattered when the rock had been thrown through it. But – Investigators believe that Leslie was already dead when the glass was broken because the glass shards had ended up all over the bed on top of Leslie's body, meaning that the sound of shattering glass right next to where he was sleeping didn't wake him him at all. Yeah, Yeah, there's no way. A further investigation of the glass shards also revealed – also (laughs) – Say also like that. I don't know. Also. Reminded me of how London says ham, ham, ham. (laughs) You shouldn't let your baby smoke. That's what I say. (laughs) Anyway, the glass shards, when they looked further into those, they realized that they weren't just in the bedroom. They'd been They'd tracked, been tracked. Mm-hmm. out of the bedroom, down the hall a bit, and into this is a bathroom. So disturbing. Yeah. Investigators believed that Brian had inadvertently done this when he'd left the room after killing his father. Mm-hmm. So he killed him, broke the glass, and then tracked the glass down the hall, not thinking about it, obviously. Yeah. And then he'd gone into the bathroom to wash his hands, knowing that he needed to wash the gunshot residue off his hands. Mm-hmm. So here's a kid whose dad is a criminal defense attorney who thinks he's like smart enough to pull off the perfect crime, right? He knows like enough stuff to do a couple of things he should have done, but hmm. not enough to really cover up his tracks. Yeah. So they, like, were able to trace the tracks of these glass shards into the bathroom, onto the bath mat, in front of the bathroom sink. There was also a small amount of blood and tissue on the wall, uh, something maybe that had been cast off when he'd shot his dad. Mm -hmm. So by his story, there was no reason for that to be there. 
Because his whole story is that he went to check on his dad, couldn't get in the door. Yeah. Doors locked. Investigators had dusted Leslie's entire room for fingerprints, and they had found no foreign prints. They only found prints of the Vaughn family members in there. And on the French door leading to the balcony, they only found one set of prints, Brian Vaughn's prints. Mm. Then there was the 911 call. So Brian had made a huge misstep on the call. Brian had called 911 and told the dispatcher that he believed his father had been shot. He said he'd been calling out to him and he'd received no response. He'd tried the door. He couldn't get into him. It was locked. And then he made a very incriminating error. Brian said he's bleeding around the mouth area. Well, yeah. How would you know that? And the dispatcher was like, did you go in the room? And Brian said, no, the door's locked. But the dispatcher had caught the error. Well, yeah. She asked, how do you know he's bleeding then? And Brian tried to backtrack. He said he'd heard a shot ring out and he'd heard gurgling. Mm. And the dispatcher asked again, okay, you can't get in the room because the door is locked, right? And Brian said that was correct. And so the dispatcher pressed him and said, so how do you know he's bleeding from the mouth then? And Brian said, I don't know that. Mm. Yeah. But obviously, at this point, the damage had been done when they listened to this 911 call paired with the other inconsistencies yeah. in the story. Brian was arrested and charged with the murder of his father. Mm-hmm. The prosecution also announced that they would be trying Brian as an adult. When Brian Vaughn's murder trial began in January of 2000, the prosecution admitted to the jury that this case was very circumstantial. They'd never recovered a murder weapon. They believed. That, really? Yeah. They believed that Brian had killed his father with his own gun, a Smith & Wesson 9mm, but they'd never recovered it. How did he have the time to? I don't know. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. They'd also never recovered any bloody clothes, which they admitted like he should have had some bloody clothes from cast off blood. Hmm. And there was no damning DNA in the case. In fact, Brian's hands hadn't even tested positive for gunshot residue that night. But what they did have was a very compelling narrative and Brian's own words in that 911 call. I'm really shocked, though, that they don't have bloody clothes no or bloody a murder clothes, weapon no murder when weapon this all happened so quickly. In a 20-minute time period. Here's that doesn't what I really make sense to me. Is it possible that he killed his dad and ditched the stuff before he went to the neighbor's house? Because nobody – that timeline – Dad's in bed, brother's in bed, so he's the only one up. Mm -hmm. And then after he'd done those things, he then comes back to the house, stages the broken door and everything, and then calls 911. That would honestly make maybe a little more sense to me. I agree. I think that's the only way the timeline works because how does he ditch the things in the 20 minutes and kill his dad? It also like – 
I mean, if the plan is to kill your dad, mm-hmm. then this thing of taking your your brother to the neighbor's house, saying something bad has happened, yeah, and that you're going to go back, like that's a big risk. That I the neighbors agree are, that the like, neighbors. I I mean, obviously, you never know how you're going to react in a situation like that. But I really don't think you would let a 16 year old kid go back to the house by himself. No, no, I don't either. No, I'd be like, you're staying here. I agree that I do think that he had to his dad had to have already been dead at that point. I kind of do, too. Yeah, because this is such a tight timeline. Mm -hmm. Huh. Okay. The gun and the clothes have never been recovered. Wow. Yeah. So then the prosecution lays out for their their theory for the jury. So they, you know, all the stuff that I've already walked you through, mm-hmm. they believed that he had killed his dad, staged the scene, and then um, called 911. So they backed up their theory with the timeline of the 911 call and the evidence from the scene. And then when it was the defense's turn, Brian took the stand in his own defense. And he stuck to his version of events, holes and all. He said that he had not gone to sleep yet when he heard what he thought sounded like a pop or a gunshot go off inside the house. Mm -hmm. He said he was scared. And so he went to his brother's room. He woke him up. He brought him into his own bedroom. And then he went to investigate the noise. He said he went to his father's bedroom, tried the handle. It was locked. And then he called out to his dad and got no answer. He said he could hear his dad snoring. And so he returned to his room and waited for a while. And then he started thinking about the noise and he decided to go back and check on his dad again. And so it was then that he returned to the like his dad's bedroom door Mm -hmm. that he heard that gurgling sound. And so now he was really concerned. And so – He decided at that point that it was time to call the police. And on the stand, he sticks with the timeline that he called the police before leaving the house and taking his brother to the neighbor's house. This doesn't match with what the 911 call logs say, but he stuck to his version. Mm -hmm. So he says he called the police and then he quickly left the house with his brother, took his brother to the Floyd's house and then came back just in time for the police to get there. Mm-hmm. I couldn't really find any um, any source that talked about how this how his testimony was taken. Yeah, I can't imagine it went well because it doesn't. There are no facts to back this up. There's no evidence to back his version up. There's only evidence to to poke holes in it. Hmm. I mean. Again, without the murder weapon and without his bloody clothes, I mean, there's some big pieces of evidence missing. I agree. I really think there are. I think it's very circumstantial. I think it's hard to explain what he said on the 911 call, though. Um, Unless unless the explanation from it, this is, okay, what if he's... He hears the gurgling. Surmising from the noise he heard that his dad is bleeding. Like that's the jump that he makes in his brain without explaining it out loud to the dispatcher. That makes sense to me. I agree. Although I couldn't find that that is what the defense tried to argue. I bet they did. I'm sure they did. Because it's it's such an obvious thing. And like 
especially if you're traumatized mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, maybe maybe shit comes out a little funny. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Ultimately, though, a jury convicted Brian Vaughn of the murder of his father. When the verdict was announced, Madeline Vaughn cried out in the courtroom. She said, oh, dear God, no, I can't lose them both. Hmm. When Brian Vaughn heard the verdict read, he had like a surprised look on his face. And then he began weeping as they took him into custody. Hmm. Brian Vaughn was just 17 at the time of his conviction. And he was sentenced to 33 years in prison. Wow. He appealed his sentence on the grounds that the circumstantial evidence was not enough to convict him. Mm -hmm. But his appeal was denied. Here's the thing that I think about this case. If you believe that he did it. Mm -hmm. He did it really poorly. And he's a 16-year-old kid. He He was a kid who committed a childish crime like he committed it like a child not well thought out not well planned out and he did it for a childish reason that his dad wouldn't buy him a car if you believe what the prosecution says so why wasn't he tried as a child i hate that he was tried as an adult yeah i mean i hate that he was tried as an adult too but i also i mean if if you're if you're trying to argue that he did this, I don't think you can say that he did a terrible job with it. If the murder weapon and I mean, the that's bloody true. clothes you're cannot right. be found, you're right. We're never recovered. You're right. Um, that is a really good point. Honestly, I think if I were on a jury, I would have a tough time with this one. I would too. I really would. I don't think the case against him is very strong. Mm-hmm. I think what he said on the 911 call does sound damning when you first hear it. Did you hear the audio? I did hear the audio. Okay. So how did he sound? I mean, he sounded very calm on okay. it. And he mm-hmm. sound um, – but I will say that when she – when the dispatcher was like, wait, did you go in the room? He was like, no, no, no. The door's locked. I didn't. It did sound like he was trying to backtrack okay. a little yeah. bit. Like he'd yeah. caught what he'd said. Like he caught yeah. the mistake yeah. he made. I I think he very well could have done this. I just yeah. I oof. I, I think I, the fact that they can't find the murder weapon and they can't find bloody clothes, I think mm-hmm. that and this was this all happened in such a tight time yeah. period. And I mean really the only thing saying he's lying about the time period is the neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um Although I do think there's something to be said for when you wake when up in the middle of the night, you do look, on your you door, do look, you look at, at the, the time. Clock. Yeah. So, but could they be wrong? I don't know. What if it was 142 instead exactly. of 144? Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, What if they just misremembered it? And then, and then a kid goes to prison mm-hmm. for 30, 30 years. Yeah, 30 years. Oh. What if it was as simple as that? What if they I do think it's very interesting that Leslie had said what the day before mm-hmm. that he felt and he was, like felt like he could be a target.
Hmm. Um, so Brian Vaughn went to prison. He served his time. He became eligible for parole in 2017. And according to an updated airing of this Forensic Files episode, mm-hmm. it was he was granted parole in 2017. Hmm. There were like no news articles about this beyond the initial yeah. trial. And like there was like one article about the trial. Yeah. Um, but he would be like 40 years old now. Huh. This one scares me. I agree. That's not a ton. No. To me, it's a really good hunch. I mean, I think it, yeah. it, it you know, it makes sense. Yeah. But whew, I don't know that it would be enough for me to put somebody yeah, away. I don't know either. I don't think it is. I think I, I, if I was a, on this jury, I think I would have a really hard time convicting him. Mm-hmm. But I'd also be upset because I I think there's a good chance he did. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I don't know. I'm so torn about this I one. Know. I, know. I really am. And that's the story of a murder of a criminal defense attorney. Gosh. Either way, that poor family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When I read that her his mom just like well, it'd be awful. 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 And his little brother. I mean. So there was also a moment in the investigation. They questioned the brother. They Mm -hmm. asked him, could Brian kill your dad? And he said, I don't know. They said, would Brian kill your dad? He said, I don't know. And they thought that was really damning that he said, I don't know. I don't agree. No, he could never do that. He'd never hurt him. I don't agree. I don't either. Because what? That kid's 12? 12. I mean, you know, he's also just gone through something horribly traumatic. His dad has just been murdered in his house. Well, and you also you don't know how a kid is taking that question. Mm-hmm. Like, is it physically possible? Yeah. Well, you know, maybe it, yeah. maybe it is. Yeah. Does it go against what I know of my brother? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's a smoking gun, which, by the way, they never found. they never found. That's right. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't like it one bit. I know. (laughs) As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. 
LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, you know what I think we should do now? Take some questions from our Discord? Yeah, we should go to those disappointed people in the Discord. You stop it! (laughs) Does it really make you feel bad? No, I already just feel bad enough, so... Why? Because I hate messing stuff up. But, Brandy, we all mess things up. Not me. I am perfect. I'm like Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. We've located the problem, people. (laughs) (laughs) To get into our Discord, all you have to do is sign up for our Patreon at the $5 level or higher. You get to chitty chat the day away. You get all the bonus episodes. You get our Zoom calls. And if you go for the $10 level, you get all that. Plus, you get... Ad-free episodes a day early plus 10% off on merch. And you can order merch and maybe we have it and maybe we don't. (laughs) (laughs) It's a real mystery. (laughs) Ooh, Andrew Skeezy Skunch B asked, do you all have a favorite book you're reading at the moment? You reading anything good? I just finished The Christie Affair, which I really liked. Ooh, excellent. Are you familiar with it? I'm not. Okay. You know how Agatha Christie um, – you know what? I'm just now realizing this might be one of those stories that I'm obsessed with but no one else is. Okay. Agatha Christie's husband was cheating on her. He tells her, I want a divorce. I'm going to go marry this new lady. She was devastated. So she fucked Murdered off. Murdered him. No. Oh, Okay. It would be a much different story. (laughs) She fucked off and disappeared for like – I think it was like 11 days or something. I can't remember. What'd she do? She like hid out and there was this, you know, huge search for her. She wasn't a super famous author at that point. She'd had quite a few books published but like – I mean this was a wild story and she had basically been camped out at a spa. What? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that sounds amazing. So this this book, it's like a historical fiction. I really, really enjoyed it. I just finished The Silent Patient, mm-hmm. which we talked about a couple episodes ago. I really enjoyed it. Currently, though, I am <laughs> reading. I don't know if everybody heard that I met Damien Eccles oh at <laughs> Obsessed Fest, <laughs> but I met Damien Eccles at Obsessed Fest. And then I was looking through my Libby app, which is mm-hmm. my library app, seeing what they had for audiobooks. And it turns Nerd. out that they have Damien Eccles' Life After Death in audiobook form, which is read by Damien. So it is, yes. if, it is as if I'm hanging out with him every day while he tells me his life story. So that's what I'm listening to right now. He's going to get a restraining order Stop against Stop it! <laughs> No, that's good because, you know, sometimes you get an audiobook by a person like you really are excited yeah. about and then they're not the ones who yes, read it. Yes, exactly. I was so thrilled when I saw it was read by him. He has a really soothing voice. Yes, he does. He really does. When we watched him in that panel, I mean, yeah. like every time he spoke, it was like, oh, my. Yes. I mean, that guy's pretty fucking profound. Yes. I actually. What? I literally wrote, like, voice wrote a quote on my way here because I thought it was such a poignant note, like, moment in his book. So this is what he said. He said, people in this country believe the corrupted are the exception. They're not. They're the rule. And then he said, because he's talking about his experience with the police and, like, Mm. they were just terrible to him. 
The, like they just tried to beat a confession out of him yeah. basically. They put him in a yeah. cell with no bathroom, no water, no food oh, for like eight hours at a time, 12 hours at a time, mm-hmm. a whole day one time. Like yep. anything to get a confession out of him. Yeah. And he said that like he had always believed that police were the good guys Yeah. until that. Mm-hmm. He had no idea. And then the other thing he said is that people ask me all the time if I'm upset at Jesse Miss Kelly for accusing me. And he said, I'm not. It wasn't his fault. He's not the one that accused me. It was the police. Mm -hmm. His book is so well written. Yeah. It's amazing to hear his story from him. I've actually read his book before, um, but it's like really different hearing him. Well, and, I mean, do you reread books at all? Uh, I don't. I, I have a couple books that yeah. I reread, but I, I don't generally reread yeah. a lot of books. But it is it's been years since I read his mm-hmm. book. So it's been, it's just like it's like I've never heard it before. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sometimes it just hits you differently yeah. at a different time in your life. Absolutely. PTSD out the wing wing asks Brandy, would you guys ever consider running a poll on Discord to let us pick the bonus episode cases? Okay, so we actually used to do this Mm -hmm. like in the early days of Patreon. And it actually like, okay, it makes it like when you're in school and you're forced to read a book. You know what I mean? Like somehow being like shoehorned into a topic makes the topic not fun anymore. Yeah. So we stopped doing it. (laughs) Yeah, we stopped doing it because we felt like the episodes weren't as good. Yeah. Yep. Because... Our spirits weren't into them. You know. We're it, artists. Uh, that's right. You have to respect the process of our art. <laughs> These dong jokes don't write themselves. That's right. Ooh. I know how you're going to answer this, but I just want to, like, confirm. DP for DP wants to know, Brandy, would you rather never be able to wear pants again or would you rather be bald for the rest of your life? No wigs or hats allowed. Oh, my gosh. You should see her face. She's outraged. Are you personally offended by this question? I don't know how to answer it. I know how you'd answer it. I mean, I think I have to go pantsless. Exactly. You'll go pantsless. I fucking love my hair. I know. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'd have to, which sounds horrible. Really? I mean, you don't like it. Well, I gosh. Can I I wear dresses? Sure. Okay. I don't have to just like porky pig it. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. I mean, I assume not. All right, great. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do with your life if you're porky pigging it I mean, everywhere? I've become a shut-in. I can't leave my house. No, no, no. You're allowed to wear skirts. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. And dresses and jorts. Sure. All the jorts sure. you could ever want. Okay, great. I haven't seen you in a skirt in a long time. You don't do wear you, a lot. You, you don't care I for used them. to wear skirts a lot when I was, you know, professional. <laughs> <laughs> hit my body weird and you know I'm freakishly, <laughs> I'm freakishly shaped it's fine oh my gosh <laughs> everyone brandy and norm both maintain that their bodies are weird your bodies are not weird <laughs> what so it's fine no it's not they have oh jeez <laughs> do you not want to talk about no, it no it's fine like because I'm very hippie and mm-hmm. buddy. The skirts have to sit pretty high on me, and it's not a look that I think is super flattering on me. So, hmm. I I love a dress. I think a dress looks good on my body. I feel like you would look crazy hot in a pencil skirt. I probably that, and that is what I would tend to wear. With yeah, a pencil skirt. Yeah, you yeah. would look crazy hot in a pencil Thank skirt. You. Mm-hmm. I'll 
take that under consideration. I hope you will. (laughs) (laughs) Eat the Nachos asks, I'm listening to old episodes. Brandy, is your embarrassing memory of flashing your underpants in school the reason you're never nude? Probably. I mean, it's probably part of it. It's probably a whole bunch of shit all it wrapped is, up it in is. it. It's so much shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a, that's a part of it. Probably a small part of it. Yeah. <laughs> the main part of it comes from me thinking my body is free. I was, you know, I wasn't going to say that, but it's like, man, we just heard the answer to the other question, and that's the answer to this question. Yeah, it's because you think your body is freakish. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, okay. I know the answer to this. Mix Fritz asks, what could you give a 40-minute presentation on with no preparation? Cannot be a specific case. Okay. So this was actually a uh, an assignment in a speech class mm-hmm. one, that I took one time. And you were given like literally a topic right then. You had to give the teacher like three topics that you could do and then they picked one. I did mine on dental hygiene. <laughs> of course you did. Everyone, Brainy has amazing teeth. I know a lot about dental hygiene because my mom was a dental hygienist for years. And so, yeah, I I could give a 40-minute presentation on dental hygiene like that. What could you do? What were your other two topics that you had? I can't remember. I can do nothing without preparation. Nothing? You couldn't get up and fucking bullshit your way through a skincare presentation no i really my thing (laughs) you said no (laughs) (laughs) no my thing for any public speaking the only way i feel even remotely okay and not even a little okay just remotely okay is if i have rehearsed 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 okay so yeah the idea of like standing up and bullshitting for 40 minutes no Sounds terrible. Also, listening to someone <laughs> riff for 40 minutes, that sounds terrible, too. <laughs> you know what I hate? What? The disrespect of, oh, I'm just going to get out there and wing it. Oh, yeah. I don't like that either. I no. would never come to something unprepared. Yeah. Yeah. No. No, I think I think people are fooling themselves when they're like, people won't know. Yeah. People, people will know. know. <laughs> I don't know what this question is, so I'm going to ask it to you, Kristen, and you can tell me. Malarkey of the highest order wants Mm -hmm. to know, pronto pup or corn dog? What? What's a pronto pup? Ew, what is that? I don't, I'm Googling it. A pronto pup. It's an amusement park and carnival food similar to a corn dog, but it's made with flour mix. What is this? I think this is a – yeah. It's a Pacific Northwest thing found, founded in Portland, Oregon. They would fuck with a corn dog. <laughs> yeah. What do you need that for? Fucking corn dog is great. <laughs> I don't know. Never had a pronto pup. Ooh, this is a family podcast wants to know, have you ever used a peeling foot mask? Have you used one of those? No, they freak me out. Those baby feet things? Baby feet Yeah, that's things. what it's called. It's called baby feet. Really? You put it on your foot. You put like this little like sock thing on uh-huh. your foot. You let the stuff soak in. You take it off. Your whole foot peels off. Oh, I need that. 
I think I do need that. You do. I told you about You do it. I'll watch. Okay. Well, I told you about that time. Oh, my gosh. This was so embarrassing. <laughs> Everyone, before Obsessed Fest, <laughs> I, I needed a pedicure. Like, it had been a little too long. And I have gross feet. I just do. I have men's feet. I have my dad's <laughs> feet attached to my ankles. And running, you know, makes your feet gross, too. Yeah. So I went to this new salon for the first time. I, you know, wanted to try it out. They had great ratings and, you know, it was very nice. And uh, I got a pedicure and (laughs) the guy looked at the bottom of my feet and goes, (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) and then he put the lotion on them and said he was just going to let that soak for 10 minutes. And I felt ashamed. Okay. So I also had a pedicure shaming moment. You did? I did. So I had gotten a gel pedicure and then like I'd gone too long. Mm -hmm. And so I picked all the gel off. Mm. So then I went in for a new pedicure before Obsessed Fest. Mm -hmm. And the guy looked at my feet and he was like, you know – Sometimes, just every so often, if you just take like a nail brush mm-hmm. and just this will get the crusty stuff off your nails. Ew. He, so there were little remnants of the gel. So uh-huh. on there, he thought it was like foot gunk, and I was Ew. like, "Oh no, I I I had gel on. I had I picked it off." And he goes, "Oh, okay." <laughs> that is disgusting. <laughs> he thought I just had like gunk. gunk. And he's trying to gently tell you, you know, if you wash, if you yourself, wash your feet every now and again, your body will be dis- won't be covered in a disgusting crust. Oh, that is that is nasty. And I'm guessing you had black on your toenails, right? So it was like yeah, a black crusties. Right. Oh my god. That's correct. <laughs> that is terrible. Ooh, have you seen these? I wonder about this too. Nancy Drew wants to know, Kristen, would you ever buy a mini fridge for your skincare products? Um, okay, I I'm not gonna lie to you. I've thought about it, but I think it's too much. It's a step too far, don't it's you think? A step too far. I mean, it just it it seems like too wouldn't much. it feel good though? Oh, no, it would feel it would feel great. Products? But I think I would feel Lazy and silly. (laughs) Even though, I mean, here's the thing. Like I – so I used to have one of those, you know, like gel mask things for your eyes that you're supposed to like keep in the refrigerator. And I kept it in the refrigerator. The problem is I never actually put it on because it was downstairs. Well, yeah, that's why you need it in your bathroom. No, I understand. But I kept thinking like that's ridiculous. I can walk downstairs and I never did. And then finally after two years of the thing, Norm told me. You know, it was time. It was time. time. I was stuck behind the capers. <laughs> you keep capers? I don't, but Norman likes capers because he's weird. He likes little hard, salty peas. Capers are disgusting. Yeah, I'm not they into shouldn't. Capers. No, <laughs> they shouldn't be. <gasps> oh my gosh! Okay, suspicious Midwest salad asks: Are there any plans to create an LGTC cookbook? It could feature recipes of your favorite foods, suspicious Midwest salads, Dr Pepper inspired dishes, or perhaps have some connection to past cases. I love that idea. I think that's so fun. It is. Oh, we'd have some disgusting recipes. We sure would. Popcorn fucking salad. No, we we'd put out like a little disclaimer that Brandy barfed when she ate this. 
Yeah, that popcorn salad was disgusting. Yeah. The other thing is we don't have the right those recipes. Well, yeah, we'd have to tweak them, Ugh. make our own versions. So you'd have to test a bunch oh, of Oh no. Okay, and, never mind. You know, this to keep it fair, idea. we'd have to put in one that makes you throw up. So like, you know, if you liked it too much, we'd have to not put that one in the cookbook. Okay. Hate it. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for thanks for the idea that I initially thought was great and then now hate. <laughs> hmm. Okay, I'm interested in this. Brandy, this is from two time jury alternate. Brandy, weirdest head of hair you've ever worked with. What's the weirdest head of hair you've ever worked with? I used to cut this guy's hair who just had like really, really stick straight hair. Like every hair grew directly out mm. from the scalp. Uh-huh. And so it was really hard to get his hair to lay in a way that looked intentional. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Like literally every hair grew yeah. straight out from where it was on the scalp. And it was coarse enough that it would just stick straight out from there. Well, do you kind of have to do a buzz cut in that case? You got to go pretty short. Yeah. So you can work with the top a little bit because some product can help. Yeah. But yeah. 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 You got to take it pretty short. Okay. And it's difficult to blend. I bet. Yeah. No, I bet if you get a crappy haircut, it shows. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Probably even just a good haircut yeah. could show. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, like three people have asked this, so I will answer it. Steer Queer Y'all asks, what is London going to be for Halloween this year? Um, she is being Boo from Monsters, Inc., but like in the monster costume. So I had this idea. I, that's what I wanted her to be. Like, mm-hmm. I had it, like, immediately after Halloween last year. Yeah. And then, like, I'm going to wear a Sully shirt and David's going to wear a Mike Wazowski shirt. And then if Jack goes trick-or-treating with us, we'll get him a themed costume to go with it. It's just mm-hmm. undecided if he will be with us that night yet. And yeah. Don't don't worry. We're not leaving Jackson out. Um, and so I got her the Boo costume. And it came. And I was worried that she wouldn't maybe know for sure who Boo is. Because Monsters, Inc. is a movie she's seen. But it's not one of the things that she watches, like – repetitively. Right. But I pulled it out of the package and she goes, oh, boo! And so she got really excited. So now I'm even more excited that she's yeah. going to be good for Halloween. <laughs> she's going to be so cute. Yes. <laughs> and so are you and David. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Cinnamon Toast Bitch asks, Brandy, what is your shampoo and conditioner recommendation for fine hair that's been bleached? I've heard Verb is good, but spending $20 per bottle is a little scary. I'll do it because I love my hair, but I want to make sure it's absolutely worth it. That's 100% my recommendation, but not just Verb, specifically Verb Ghost. So their ghost line is specifically for... um, Spooky people. (laughs) No, it is reparative, but it is weightless. So it's exactly what you need. You need that little bit of repair because you have chemically treated hair, but you want something weightless for your fine hair. So please get Verb Ghost shampoo and conditioner. What do you recommend for us dry, curly, thick gals? So Verb has a curly line. Mm-hmm. They just came out with it. I have not tried it yet, mm, though. So you don't know. <laughs> hmm. All right. All right. I'll just stick with what I find at Costco. <laughs> Uh, should we move on to Supreme Court induction? Yes, we shall. I'm not. Nor am I. Anywhere near where I need to be. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, you know what this is? It's called Karma Baby. No! And it comes around. <laughs> <laughs> 
Karma's only a bitch if you are, Kristen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, everyone. um, Folks, it appears we will not be doing Supreme Court inductions today. And Kristen, why don't you tell the folks why? It's Brandy's job to compile the list, and (laughs) it seems like she fucked it up. It's not Brandy's job to compile the list. Oh, my gosh. You know what? (laughs) I broke out into a cold sweat as I was scrolling. Because I thought, huh, I haven't updated this list in a while. And um, I've basically roasted Brandy this whole fucking episode and the bonus episode. Yes. And uh, in this very week, I um, sold merch that we didn't have. I gave refunds, but still. That's right, yeah. Um, and now I uh, didn't prepare the list for the Supreme Court inductions. Might be time for us to hire an assistant. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. I guess I that guess concludes this episode. On this episode. Oh yeah, sign up for our Patreon. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Good grief. Oh boy. Anyway, uh thank you everyone for all of your support. We appreciate it so much. <laughs> If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on social media or on Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, Twitter. Uh, Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and then head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. For our professionalism. That's right. Also, while you're at it, subscribe to The Gaming Historian on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Yeah, do that. What else can you subscribe to? I don't know. That's probably good enough. That's good. Go subscribe to my husband, the gaming historian. The sexiest man in all of YouTube. Is that what they say about him? That's what they say. Oh, okay. I did give him a new haircut today. It's looking nice. Mm Mm-hmm. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's what we say. (laughs) It really threw you off to not have Supreme Court inductions. It did. Um, uh, Be sure to join us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. I got my info from reporting by Kara Mia DeMassa for the Los Angeles Times, as well as reporting from the Seattle Times, MTV, and People.com. I got my info from an episode of Forensic Files, an entry from ForensicFilesNow.com, the Marshall News Messenger, and the Court Record. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.